Today is August 28th, 2016. The title of today's sermon is going to be The Meaning of Life. That's all I got to cover today. Nice small topic to cover. Um, so as we were driving back from Louisiana last night, um, here, here are the thoughts that came into my mind. This is August of 2016. We're near the end of August, a couple more days. But I want to tell you what's happened as a very 30,000 foot overview of what's happened here in this church in August. We've had two mission trips. One to Mexico, one to Louisiana. There have been floodings in Louisiana that have in- impacted many of us here in this place. I, 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 I actually kind of did not realize it was this, but last week we had an announcement about church discipline of a pastor that's very close to us. That was last week. I don't know what it feels like to you. That feels like about a month ago to me, and that was seven days ago. We've had a birth. Many of you may or may not know, we've also had a miscarriage that happened. Sam Arigina was carrying a baby. Actually, Nick and Eric came all the way to Louisiana with us, and they got a call after we had made it to Louisiana that Sam was in, in dire need, that the baby was really struggling. Uh, we finished a few things there. We called down fire from heaven. We prayed as hard as we could pray there on my wife, on her, her parents' front porch. Eric and Judah and Nick got in a vehicle and came back here as quickly as they could make it. And on the way back, they got a call somewhere around after they had passed through Lafayette. Louisiana, that the baby um, had died. So, knowing uh, Nick and Sam, this won't surprise anyone, their first response, some of you have been in this place. There are many, many women here who have lost babies, have had miscarriages, have had very difficult things. What they did was they decided to praise the Lord, that all of His ways are right all of his ways are perfect. Because they had a, a vision. Um, Nick has had a, felt like the Lord has spoken to both of them that they're going to have two sons. They have AJ, beautiful little girl. She's going to be two here in the next week or so. Her birthday's coming up. She'll be two years old. They feel like the Lord is going to give them two sons. And the baby that they lost was a son. And what they did was to say, Hey, Lord, we know that when you make a promise, it is yes and amen. That... Regardless of what we see with our eyes. And I'm not trying to make them out to be superheroes in any, in any way. Because this is a difficult time for them as well. And if you ask them about it, they're going to say, we're fine. We believe the Lord is good. We believe that His mercy endures forever. So within a span of a weekend, we get Titus. We lose a baby and we gain a baby. Multiple mission trips. If we extend the incredible season that we've been in, if we extend it just a little bit further, we get a miracle in baby Shiloh, an actual verifiable medical miracle. We get a new son in the Adarmas household, Kaysen, which is another miracle that God just rained that down from heaven. We've had two weddings. So both on a great end and on a very difficult end, 
This has been an, an incredible season for our church just this summer. Like I said, I just thought about it in the context of just this month. It's been all, all, all that we can handle. But you know what I, I wanted to start comparing it to as I was thinking? I was comparing it to birth pains. Uh, Sam, I mean, uh, um, Sasha didn't go through false labor. She was blessed, and when it was time, there was one actual labor. Any of you ladies had to deal with false labor? You started feeling the contractions, went to the doctor. doctor said, <laughs> you ain't ready yet. Go back. Go home, right? Um, I do not think that this is a time in our church where we're experiencing false labor pains. We're about to watch the send-off of the Vincent family to Indonesia, a heart's cry of theirs for many years now. We're about to see that come to fruition. Let me start off by asking you this. What is it in your heart that God is trying to birth through this season? What is God trying to birth? Sometimes we look at these things and the contractions. Obviously, I can't speak from experience. But these contractions, there is a pain that's associated with birthing anything. That is a universal law that God has instilled so that we would understand if there's going to be life that comes forth, there is pain before that. Now, we can mask that with drugs. We can do all kinds of things, right? But the principle that God set up was is there's, there's a, a genesis of something. There is a gestation period for something. There is pain. And then there is a birth. We are experiencing some pains here as a family. I just mentioned the big things. If I didn't mention your specific, it's not because I'm trying to leave it out. It's because they would be too exhaustive of a list for us to do even for this month. Amen? I'm not making more of one family struggle than yours. What I am saying is, are, are you feeling the contractions yet? Are you feeling it? Is there something moving on the inside of you? Because what today is we're going to start dealing with some of... We're going to talk through these birth pains and find the meaning of life. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30. I believe that the Lord has got a word for us today. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Those of us on the trip uh, at the beginning and the end of each day, we'd have a collective time where we'd get in the Word and worship. I say collectively because it was going on all the time. As we're pulling out things, you're building things, you're moving things, and trying to stay away from gross, grossness, water that you're not quite sure where it came from or where it was supposed to go, but now it is upon you after you picked up a soggy box that you thought you could move and it fell apart, the Word would come out and, and go forth even as we're, we were doing that. But one of the things that we started off a few mornings ago, uh, Brent Vincent encouraged us and he started off in Deuteronomy 30, so that's where I'd like to start today, in verse 15. Everybody there? See, I set before you today life and prosperity... Death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways and keep His commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live. Everybody say live. And increase. Everybody say increase. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you, we don't use this phrase very much in English do we? In, in our day and time, do we? I declare. I, declare. I do declare. 
The Lord is saying, I declare to you. He's, he's not just saying, I'm saying it to you. He's saying, I'm making a, a declaration. I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed if you go off and follow these other things. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. Verse 19, this day I call heaven and earth as witnesses. By the way, the Bible is very, it's a very important thing in the Bible for us to establish everything in witnesses. We're never supposed to entertain an accusation against an elder in the faith unless there are two or more witnesses. Not that anyone in this room would ever do that, but if anyone said anything about Elder Charlie, the truth is, is I'm, I'm not going to listen to it. I'm not going to entertain it unless there is some corroborating things going on. I just won't entertain it. You're playing favorites. I'm just following the scripture. So God says, I call this day heaven and earth as witnesses. <laughs> Who are going to witness what the Lord has to say? He's not going to call a man to witness it because he's saying, I've got to call something that is permanent because I'm permanent. So he's going to watch these things as a witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Now, I, so we have, we have a decision to make, right? He's saying, here we are. And I'm going to set before you life and death. Let me ask you a question real quick. Which one would you want to pick? Apparently, he's not quite sure that everyone would actually make that decision. Because he says, I'm setting before you two choices. And this is the way that I often think about it, is this way. I set before you life and death. By the way, I want you to choose life. When I, was, uh, when I used to teach students, I would actually kind of use this as an example. Can you imagine if, if I gave you a test that only had one question on it, you had an A and a B choice, and I told you that it was A. Now, if you don't pass this test, it's your own fault. Right? I want to show you today that I don't think that, it, that this is necessarily exactly what he was doing for the people. In simplicity, sure, he was setting a choice before them, life and death. But it's hard for us to comprehend why would anybody choose death then? You can live or you can die. Hmm. Let me, let me think on this for a minute. Let, let's, see, let's see what else. Let's, let's go to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to come back to this principle in Deuteronomy several times. But I want you to go to Matthew chapter 4 and maybe we can get a better understanding of this. Matthew chapter 4 and starting in verse 1. Everybody with me? Oh, we're getting there. Matthew 4, 1. It says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit. Who led Jesus? Spirit did. Into the desert to be tempted by the devil. That's an interesting opening line of Matthew 4. It was the Spirit that led Jesus out into the desert, a dry place, the wilderness, away from people, away from resources, to be tempted by the devil. Are you telling me that I can actually follow the will of the Lord and it end up looking like I made a bad choice? It looks like I'm in trouble now because I actually follow the Lord? Yes, that's exactly what I'm telling you. If the Spirit is leading you and you do exactly what the Spirit is telling you to do, you will get in some very difficult situations. You know why? Because it is God's will for your life. 
And anybody else who tells you something different doesn't understand the Scripture. They're just trying to uh, deceive you. If you think that difficulty is a sign that you are failing, it may be a sign that you are exactly where God tells you to be. We have to have an understanding. We have to open up our eyes. Psalm 36, 9 said that He is the fountain of life, and in His light we see light. What an interesting phrase. We can't even see what truth is unless He's shining His light upon us. When you're witnessing to those around you, please understand this. The Holy Spirit has to draw someone. The idea that we're just going to go talk to someone and they will, all of a sudden, we're not the ones that determine whether they are eligible for the kingdom yet. Holy Spirit draws people because you know what happens? When the Holy Spirit starts to draw, the veil can start to be removed from someone's eyes, from their heart. The things that cloak them from the actual part of Scripture, that can start to be removed and then when you speak truth, they can start to go, oh, I think that is true. In His light, we see light. We can absolutely do what the Spirit leads us to do and end up in a desert place. Tempted by the devil. Verse 2. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. (laughs) Really? Didn't eat for 40 days and 40 nights, and the Bible says he's hungry. Well, good. Yes. Showing you that clearly he is not only all God, but all man. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Referencing back to Deuteronomy. We're going to keep going. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God... He said, throw yourself down, for it is written, whoa, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. This is part of the importance that we have as a church of getting an understanding of the whole, the whole Bible. Why do we work so hard to have an example from the law the prophets and the writings in the Old Testament, and the Gospels, the Epistles, and the book of Revelation in the New Testament. You know what we're trying to do? To give a complete counsel of God's Word so that we don't take a Scripture and not understand that there are other things that would directly contradict the way that we are taking it. We, we're trying to get the whole because it is also written. Jesus understood the context of this. Verse 8, again, the devil took him on a high, very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you. Well, thank you very much. He said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the, angel, then the devil left him and angels came and attended to Jesus. So what are, what are the three categories here? We see they test him with bread, right? He tests him, um, test him in the body area. Then what, what, was this, what was the second one that he had in verse uh, 5? Took him up on a holy to the city and stand on the highest point and says, look, what I'm going to do is I'm going I'm I'm to mess with your soul here. I'm going to challenge who, who you really are. I, I'm really going to kind of go at just who you are. All right, if you really are the Son of God, isn't that what you used to say to kids on the sandlot? 
right? What are you, chicken? I'm not chicken. Prove it. Really? That's all it takes to, to get you to do something silly, right? He's trying to figure out who he, and challenge him in his very, uh, in the very nature of who he is. And then the last one, he was dealing with who he worshiped. If you will bow down and worship me, I'll give you whatever you want. So he's dealing with a spiritual realm. Turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. I'm laying some groundwork here for us that we will need. 1 John chapter 2, and let's start in verse 15. It says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. Don't love the world or anything in it. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. How is the Bible so clear? And we look at people today and we can't just say this verse to somebody. They're entangled and it's clear that they love the world and they'd even say it. And they'd go, what is that of your business? That's none of your business. Well, apparently, you and I have different business anyway. Because I'm with the Lord and you're not. The love of the Father is not in him. Next verse. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, come not from the Father, but from the world. In the old King James Version that I learned this verse, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Right? Is this not exactly the same three categories that Satan tempted Jesus in? Is this not exactly what the Bible says in Deuteronomy 6? Can you put up Deuteronomy 6 and start in verse 4 for me? It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength. This is exactly what the enemy is trying to tempt Jesus in. This is the way that we get tempted, by the way. Whatever the specific is, it's going to fall into one of these three categories. There's no way that you're going to get around this. If Jesus was tempted like this, this is the way that we will be tempted. Because here, let let me show you this. Let's turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And let's start in verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. You are blessed when you persevere under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Next verse. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. I remember my mom teaching me this lesson as a kid. Oh, I, I'm sure I mu- it must have come across and I must have said something like this. Well, I just, Mom, I just think that God is tempting me. Whoosh! She pulled out her Bible, turned to James chapter 1 and made me read this. And then she made me write it down on a sheet of paper. And then she made me memorize it. Thank God for a godly mother. When tempted, no one should say that God is tempting you. God is not going to tempt you. That's not how this works. For God cannot be tempted by evil nor does He tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when? By his own evil desire. Do you know where all this starts from? Your own desire. 
Let's just be real. Every sin that any of us commit is because we wanted to do it. Period. I, I, I just wanted to do it. I can't even tell you why I wanted to do it. I just wanted to do it. If we're really, really honest with ourselves, we have no ex- excuse. What are, but what do we try to do here? We try to say, well, God tempted me. No, He didn't. We try to say, it's our environment. If only, if only I were in a better place. We're going to blame it on the people around us. We're going to blame it on how we were brought up. We're going to blame it on one of a thousand reasons. And the truth is, it's our own desire. It's our own desires. Going back to the verse, it says this, but when each one is tempted, when by his own evil desire, he is dragged away. Our, Our desire is the one that is, we are dragged away and there's an enticement. I want it. There's something about it that's got a drawing in it. It says that Moses chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. (laughs) There's something that is appealing to us. It appeases us about sin. Oh no, brother. I'm, I'm holy and sin doesn't even appeal to me. Okay. Then you're lying to yourself. If there was no appeal, how difficult would it be for any of us to fight it? I do not have to fight hard not to eat Brussels sprouts. I'm not tempted. Because I have no desire. Not a problem. You can put Brussels sprouts, you can surround me with a table of Brussels sprouts. You know what's not going to happen? I'm not going to touch one of them. I'll just, I'll be like... It's not, it's, there's no temptation there. I'm not going to worry about it. Because there's no desire. There's no enticement. We're, he is dragged away. Then after desire has conceived. It gives, it gives birthing terms, doesn't it here? After desire, there's a thought. There's a heart that starts moving towards it. There's some type of attraction. Then there's a conception that goes on. And after it's conceived... It gives birth. Oh, what a happy little baby bundle of sin. They're cute little things, though, when they're little, aren't they? They just eat, sleep, and poop, right? That's it. You just keep cycling through. Which one of those three things isn't right? You, You unlock the code for all babies. Some combo of those three, and you're going to be okay. It gives birth to sin, and when sin... Sin grows up, doesn't it? Just like a child. When you have little kids, you have little problems. When you have big kids, if you haven't taken care of them properly when they're little kids, you're going to have big problems when they're big kids. If you don't have your child listening to you really well before the time, by the time they're two or three, I'm not saying all hope is lost. But you sure are going to have a difficult time for the next few years. I guess I'll have to get into that later, right? When sin grows up, what does it do? It gives birth. What an interesting way to say this. It gives birth to death. We think of birth as being life, but death as being the opposite of that. And somehow when sin does it, it gives birth to death. 
So as we're, as we're setting this up, please understand this. And this is why we do this as pastors here at this church. Don't talk to me about any other mitigating circumstance because the Bible says that the start of this whole thing is because you have an evil desire inside of you. It's not your mama's fault. It's not your dad's fault. They may not have helped you. It's not their fault. Right, Cody? It's not them. And the end, it leads to death. Well, here we are. We've got another choice that ends up in death. Let's do this. I talked to you in Deuteronomy 30 about the choice that was before us between life and death. I want to present something to you that I just considered this morning. What if the pathway is more this? Okay? So what we just read in James 1 says that I want to get to life, but what I am always tempted to do, like in Matthew 4, is to come some long way around. I mean, death is in the way, right? So what I have to do is, is what we think we want to do is go around death. And Matthew 4 speaks to this. We are tempted to do this another way. Don't you think that Jesus was going to have life? Isn't it, if you think about it this way, what is Satan tempted with? If you'll, if you'll kneel down and worship me, you know what I'm going to give you? I'm going to give you everything you see. He's already got it. Charlie, I'm going to give you to the keys to a beautiful home. Um... I'm, I took his key. I'm going to try to take his keys from his pocket and hand it back. That's, hey, man, those are mine anyway. What, what are you doing? You're trying to offer me something that's already mine. What he was trying to do is get him to take a diversionary way to get to, to life. Here we have, maybe we have our own evil desires, as it says in James 1. Maybe here is we're afraid, because this is kind of scary. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear, fear no evil. Maybe, maybe these are my own thoughts. Last Monday, I, I had the pleasure of talking with Steve and Joyce on the phone with a friend that had come in town. And they were using, oh, I don't know. How many scriptures did y'all use talking to him? I'm going to go with 50 because I think it's super low of a number. They might have used 100 different passages of scripture. And you know what it came down to is this guy said, um, I just don't think it's that way. And I did one trip around a, a logical argument and he came back and I showed him probably 10 scriptures. Over, or I was speaking with him about 10 scriptures over the phone and he came right back around and said, yeah, I see what you're saying, but I just think it's this. And we came all the way back around to where we started the conversation. And I went, oh, I'm not doing that again. I said, here's what your problem is. You have a heart that's far from God. You think that this is an intellectual argument. If this was an intellectual argument, I just won. I showed you ten scriptures from across the span of the Bible, and you just decide, and I asked him, how much have you ever thought about this? Well, I mean, not that much. What resources did you look up to solidify your crystal clear thinking on this thing? Well, not really. I mean, I really haven't thought about it. So I'm going to give you a well-presented argument that shows you 10 scriptures and I can show you 50 more and you're just going to go, I don't want to believe it. Just random thoughts. Just thoughts. 
right? We have these things that are working against us. Let's talk, uh, let's go to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Let's start in verse 12. It says this, Do not be like Cain, okay, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? I love what this says. It's so clear. Because his own actions were evil and his brother's actions were righteous. Has anybody ever gotten mad at you just because you did something well? Okay, that, that one's an easy one. That's an easy one for us to think through. Have you ever gotten mad at somebody just because they were doing something well? Oh, wait, now hold up now. That's a whole different situation. Have you ever been mad at somebody just because they were prettier than you, more successful than you, just seemed to be nicer than you, and it made you mad? Have you ever gotten mad at somebody for being nice? I have. God, they're good looking and they seem to have resources and they're nice. Darn it. I'm sure all you guys are much more mature than I am. But I've just got to be real with you this morning and go, uh, I've thought it. That's not fair. Oh, hold up a minute. Why is their success or apparent success any of my concern? It actually shows what I think about God as the problem. It means that I have this picture of God where there's only this one certain amount of stuff. And if you get some, Mr. Charlie's a lot smarter than me, so he has a bigger piece of the pie than I do. And if he gets too much of the pie, what can happen is maybe I don't get any pie. Or maybe I have to get a smaller piece because Mr. Charlie... I mean, he's an elder, so he got his piece first, and now there's not enough left. Wow, what a terrible way to think about the kingdom of God. I want Curtis to be as an anointed man of God as he can possibly be. You know why? Because my God has limitless resources. What he has does not limit what I can have. The better that he does, the more that I'm blessed. Why wouldn't I want to have him? Oh, it's because if I don't have the kingdom mentality, I'm only looking at somebody... I call it the crab mentality, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift back to Louisiana for just a second. I'm not going to stay there long. By the way, if you didn't go on the trip with us, so when we go to Mexico, we go to a restaurant called Big O's. It is the best, surprisingly enough, it's the best Mexican food I've ever had. In Mexico, right? Of course, right? So I, I wanted to kind of try to bust the team and go, hey, let's, let's do some Louisiana stuff. Because we were just working the whole time, just back and forth from the church. And so we stopped at um, this place and we got boudin. It's, it's kind of like a sausage, for those of you who don't know, but it's got rice and meat stuffed inside of like a... It's, but it comes in kind of a sausage thing, okay? And then we got cracklins. Okay, for all you people not from Louisiana or not from around here... Cracklins, they're, they're the most unhealthy thing you can possibly imagine. They're awful for you, and they taste so good. It's this fried bit of pork goodness. I'm going to go with goodness, even though you're completely right. 
They fry it, and then they take it out of the fryer, and then they fry it again. <laughs> Boom! Double friedness. And then they sprinkle as much seasoning on there as they will stick to the grease. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> and then, just to top it all off, we stopped off at Popeye's Fried Chicken. <laughs> Louisiana! It is. I gained seven pounds in like 12 and a half minutes. It was great. It's like, what the... I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't know what happened here. <laughs> Let me get back to the scripture. I'm in trouble. I, I'm sorry. You'll have to excuse me. Crabs. So. Crabs. So when you go down to South Louisiana... You, you can, we would go crabbing with, with, growing up. And so, but the way you contain the crab, this is the way we did it. We just had a big open bucket, and you would throw crab down in there. Now, you would think that you need to put a, la, uh, a lid on it because the crab could just crawl out. But if you, had a, if you got a couple of them in there, then you could, leave it, you could leave the top off. You know why you could leave the top off? Because they would just pull each other back in the... That one would try to get out and get going good, and somebody else would go, uh-uh. <laughs> Actually, the more that you had in there, they're closer to the top, right? They're not going to get out. They all start to climb their way out. Nope. <laughs> multiple people, pull, multiple crabs, pull that dude back in. <laughs> Promise. You just, as a kid, we're just like, I wonder if anybody's going to get out. <laughs> Might even thump one of them to let him go to see if he could get out anyway, you know? Do we have a crab mentality in our Christianity? Well, where we're there, and, and, I, and I, see, um, I see Buddy and Kim, they're doing great, and they're going to go to the mission field in Peru soon enough. And Do I want to pull him back down with my words? Do I want to expose his weaknesses to make sure that he's just a little bit closer to my level? How, how are we doing on this? Are, are, are we allowing ourselves to be enticed with our own evil desires? and not even notice it? That's the dangerous part. There's one issue if you know what you're doing and you and you're, have a desire to keep going, you've got to be very careful because God's judgment is upon you. What I am just as worried about sometimes in my life are the things that I don't see as sin, but God is going to hold me accountable because it's vile before Him. It's nastiness. 1 John 3 Verse 12, because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. John chapter 3 says that people stand condemned already. Our issue isn't whether someone is a good person or if they're a bad person. The Bible default that we're supposed to have, our, our um, understanding of evangelism, should be that everyone stands condemned already. The reason that the Vincents are going to go to Indonesia is because they understand this scripture. And if it's true that everyone stands condemned and that we must help them to cross over from death into life, if everyone that I look at... This sounds so harsh, but it's, it's the gospel... I'm going to presume that you're not a believer. 
You know why? Because that will probably serve us better until you, when I can see that the love of Christ is in you, I can go, amen. We're family. Whew, good. Because at first I was presuming that you were far from God and that I was ready to try to help you find a path to cross over from death to life. That's what this scripture is talking to us about. Anyone who does not love remains in death. It's because we stand condemned already. Turn to James chapter 3. <clears throat> is this making sense to you? I hope it is. James chapter 3. Because when someone is still standing in sin, let's look at verse 13. Someone is standing in sin, this is what it looked like. This is what it looks like. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done and the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy, if you are crabby in your walk, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Next verse. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. Gives you the context of where those kind of thoughts come from. Next verse. For where you have envy and selfish ambition. Everybody say envy. Envy. And selfish ambition. If I look at you and I can't stand what you have, or I want to have what you have, I want to wear what you wear, I want to be who you are, then I've got a problem with, with envy. If I don't even care about you because I'm so busy with myself, I've got selfish ambition, I'm just going to go get it all on my own. I don't need you. I'm not even looking at your stuff. I'm going to go get my, I got my own list of stuff. Where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. You, you think the Bible knows what it's talking about or not? Yes. You have disorder. Things look okay on the surface, but there's something that just seems always out of whack. And every evil practice. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Let's, starting in verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died. Everybody say, I died. I died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears then you will also appear with Him in glory. The temptation for us is to go around, is to get to life any way that we can. If we can find our own ulterior, ulterior direction, we want to avoid death at all costs. That is the plight of human humanity. But the way that Christ has set it forth is that what He has done is He has come and He's conquered death through what He did on the cross. And what He expects us to do is to be hidden with Him so that we will be able to have a pathway to life that goes straight through death. Amen. Okay, give me, I'm going to give it a second to sink, let this sink in because I'm, I'm going to keep going with this thought. Our desires are always to go around death. 
Well, that makes the most sense, doesn't it? I'm going to go around. I mean, who wants to go and die? The principles that the Scripture gives us are always say, you have to go through death to get to life. That is what Jesus Christ did. He did not take the way around. He went straight through it. He was even there in the garden saying, Lord, if this be your will, can I, can I go a different direction? Can I go around this path? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done, O Lord. If you think that you can get there a different way than what Jesus Christ did, you have no understanding of Scripture. We have to go through Him to get to life. If you are trying to get with your own fear, your own desires, your own thoughts, and you're not going through death, what does this mean? Turn to Luke chapter 9, verse 23. This scripture should mean something entirely different. I know it's a very, very familiar passage. I hope that it means something more to you today than it did just before we got started. Luke 9, verse 23. It says this, Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, He must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. We have to do this every stinking day. Deny ourselves, the the, uh, avoidance of death, that's us. I want to avoid death at all costs. People say this is part of what makes a human a human. We, have the, we want to preserve life. I'm telling you what makes you a godly believer is that you no longer try to run around to get away from death of your own dreams, to get away from the death of your own desires. You go right through it and say, Lord, I'm going to deny myself. Uh, instead of taking one of these alternate routes, I'm going to go straight ahead. I'm going to take up my cross, which is really His cross, because I've been now hidden with Christ in God. I've been tucked away. You can't see it in my picture, but there's a great, wonderfully designed uh, picture behind the cross of me. There's not, but I, I can't draw. But, but I'm hidden with Christ in God. This allows us to have victory. When you keep going after your own desires, that's why envy and selfish ambition are such terrible things. You know why? Because you're avoiding this completely and you're always going around and thinking that you can get to life but you're not really going to get there. You cannot find life that is truly life unless you go through death. What an interesting thing that the Scriptures have laid out for us. Think about about Philippians 2. What did Jesus do? He didn't consider equality with God something to be held on to or grasped. He made Himself nothing. He ends up becoming obedient unto death so that He will be raised and exalted, that every knee will bow, that every tongue will confess that He is Lord and the giver of all life. That's what Jesus Christ has done for us. Let me me show you this while we're at it. This word life, hopefully everyone can see it. I'll try to draw it in a a large enough way here. The word hi with a 
I'm not very good at my Hebrew. Chai, right? So this is the Hebrew, um, I think it's 2614. I wrote it down. It's 2416. I was just kidding. Okay? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little Paleo-Hebrew for you. We went through this on the trip, so you guys are, should, that went with us should be familiar. It's a Chet and it's a Yod. Okay? That's the more modern version of it. Let me show you what it is in the Paleo. This is the Chet and this is the Yod. Okay? So the meaning of these letters are one looks, it's actually supposed to be a tent wall. Supposed to be a picture of a tent, and this is supposed to be a man with his arm. This is supposed to be a man's arm. Okay? So, what this is, is this is supposed to divide our work and our worship. The word that's interpreted life in Deuteronomy 30, this day I set before you death and life, this is the word. It's supposed to divide between our work and our worship. Can I add this for you here? This is what we're going to work at doing, and this is the one that we're going to worship. It's found on the cross. That real life, if you're going to really get to life, if you've got to make this dividing line. Can you put up uh, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 for me? Hebrews 4.12, you guys can just look on the screen. For the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to the dividing. By the way, the Word of God gives you real life. There's no way for us to find true life unless we spend our time in the Word. We allow the Word to spend time in us. We allow His Word and His Spirit to dominate who we are because it will help us to divide between the soul and spirit, between the joints and the marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of your heart. You know who's terrible at judging the thoughts and the attitudes of your heart? You are. You know who's terrible at judging the thoughts and attitudes of my heart? I am. I'm actually probably the worst. It would be, you would be a better judge of my own heart than I am. You know why? Because you see my action. There's no ambiguity in what you're seeing. I just have a lot of things that I'm trying to suppose on the top of this. To have real life, you have to have a division between your work and your worship. You have to be able to come through the gate of worship. Turn to Isaiah chapter 30, verse 20. Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 20. We like 21, by the way. We're going to get to 21 in just a second, but start in verse 20. It says this, although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity, everybody say bread of adversity, and the water of affliction, say water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more, with your own eyes you will see them. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. What helps us to go through these things, to helps us to pick the right path on this pathway, are adversity. There's difficulty, there's struggle, there's, there's pain, there's lack. There's all kind of things that are here, but as believers, we are supposed to welcome this path. And we say, Lord, we understand that it, this is a more difficult path. 
This is the narrow path. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there are that find it, but narrow is the path that leads to true life. It's almost as if this is a basic principle that runs throughout the entire Scripture. That we have to say, I'm going to walk the way that you say, Lord. We're going to go the way that you say, knowing that it will be more difficult. You know why? Because that's showing that I'm dying to my own desires, my own fears, my own thoughts, my own plans. I'm going to do what you say, Lord. And in this process, what it's going to cause is death all the time. You know, there were people in the Bible who received back their dead. Abraham and Isaac, if you think about it. Hebrews 11 says that as Abraham was offering Isaac, in his heart he counted him as good as dead. You know, when, ja- when Jacob received back Joseph, Cassidy shared this, Genesis 45. To Jacob, Joseph had died. When they came and brought the coat of many colors and it was stained and they lied to their father and said he's dead, in his heart he mourned and I think it changed him for a large portion of his life. For those next however many years, I think it changed Jacob dramatically. I think there was always a deep sorrow that he had. And when he heard that his son was still alive and living in Egypt and now one of the exalted leaders in Egypt, do you remember what the Bible says? At first he said, this this can't be true. (laughs) He's dead. How can something that was dead be brought to life? And when he realized it, even in his old age, he said, oh, I will definitely go up. I will definitely make the path that was once death and now life. This is the entire gospel, ladies and gentlemen. The entire gospel is here we are. We have to deal with death itself. Our God is a God who crucifies things so that He can resurrect them. He wants us to go through this. That sounds so strange, but He wants you to be able to conquer this. When we run around it, we never really conquer anything. We just avoid it. And at some point, it's going to catch up. And He's saying, but if you do this with Me... If you allow yourself to deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me, then you will be able to conquer death in every area of your life. In every area of your life. Turn to Romans chapter 4 as we begin to close. The temptation is to go around death. The goal is to go right through death. To get life that we can divide our work and our worship. Romans chapter 4 starting in verse 18. Are you all staying with me here? We're wrapping it up. Romans chapter 4 and verse 18, it says this, Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed. (laughs) Against all hope. Yeah, that shouldn't have been the path that he went. There was nothing to think that he should have been hopeful, and he had hope. And so became the father of many nations, just as it has been said. So shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact. Everybody say, face the fact. What I am saying here is that you don't ignore the obvious things. We're not going to pretend like death doesn't exist. We're not going to pretend like we all want to go an easier way at times. We're going to face the fact. And in this case, he faced the fact, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. He said, well... He went here first and said, I can't do it anyway. 
since his, he was 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief. He did not look for another path regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded. Are you fully persuaded today? Can you walk around and say that you are fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised? Well, it's easy for us to shake our heads up and down. Oh, yeah, I'm fully persuaded. What about the promises that God gave you that don't look like they're going to come forward, come to pass? What about Nick and Sam who believe that God told them they're going to have two sons and they just watched a son die? These are not answers that, we, that I need you to answer verbally for me. I need you to consider them in your heart and say, are you really fully persuaded? Or do you freak out every time your bank account gets too few numbers in it? Do you freak out every time we get to a difficulty and you kind of, I can't, I don't know what to do. How am I going to do this? Be fully persuaded. Continue to be fully persuaded. Verse 22, this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in Him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Verse 25. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Take a look at chapter 6. Since it's right there, turn the page or later on on that page. Chapter 6, starting in verse 4. By the way, if you want to get a better picture of this from death to life that we're crossing over from death to life in the Torah there was a time where the entire nation of Israel had to pass over from death to life and pay, pay the fee. Everyone had to pay the same amount. The rich didn't have to pay more. The poor didn't have to pay less. Everyone was required to go on the path and cross over from death to life. But take a look in Romans. If you just keep reading in Romans, look at how many times it's talking about death and life. And death, you've got to die to yourself so that you can live. That is a major theme in the book of Romans. Where it's chapter 6, verse 4, it says this, We were therefore buried with Him through baptism. (laughs) When we do baptisms, it is a public sign that we are saying we are identifying ourselves. We are saying it's just like we were buried. I'm telling the whole world, we do it right out here by this roadway so everybody can see it. We're making a public proclamation. We are identifying ourselves with the very death of Christ so that we can also be raised with Him with the resurrection power that He possesses. We believe that's what takes place in our lives as we follow Christ. Verse 4, We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with Him like this in His death, we will certainly also be united with Him in His resurrection. Do you see how clear this is? For we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. You know what we don't understand very much in our culture is the fact that uh, if you sign a contract, you are legally bound to do what you sign the contract for. Um... Contract with your cable provider. You ever tried to break a contract with your cable provider? Sometimes that can be a very difficult thing. And aren't you mad when they don't let you out of your contract? You. Urgh. 
Um, Sir, you signed the contract. I know, but things have changed. Yeah, see, but you signed a contract. You signed it. And so you need to fulfill it. What's supposed to be is that you fulfill your contract, you fulfill your word, regardless of anything that happens. The only thing that should be able to get you out of a contract is the fact that you died. We had a contract with death. We had a commitment in our old life that we were already partners with death and we said, all you got, I'm all in on this. The only thing that can really liberate you from this contract of death is your own death. Is your spiritual death and saying, I'm going to die with Christ right now. And you know what? Everything else that was associated with that, when my wife got married to me almost 20 years ago, in January, 20 years, amen, she changed her name. There's, There's a new name for us here. The death that we participate in with Christ frees us from all of the things that were associated with this old contract. You are released from everything that took place there. You know why? Because the guy's dead. How can you hold a dead guy accountable for anything? This is what this is saying. Anyone who has died has been freed from sin. If you've died with Christ, sin is not your master anymore. It is an optical illusion. It is a phantom pain that you have. When someone has a, a, an amputation of a limb, it is very common that they have pains in certain areas in their body, maybe for many years. The medical profession used to treat it like it was an actual injury. If, if you had a, a pain, they would give you pain medicine so that the same receptors in your brain would tell the pain to stop and it would lessen the pain. But there's no limb there. Hey, my f- doctor, my foot is hurting. You, you don't have a foot. It, it's It's gone. Yeah, I know, but it's hurting. Okay, I'll give you medicine. What they found was that was actually increasing. It was prolonging the thought and it was prolonging the pain. What I'm, the reason I'm bringing that up is this. Some of you feel like there's a pain of sin that's still in your life. I'm telling you, in Christ, that thing's been already amputated. It's not there. We allow His power to work in us and we have life. We've divided. We're not even trying to work on it on our own. We're just going to worship Him and let Him change us from the inside out. Last passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 4, and we're going to start in verse 7. It says this, but we, f- we have this treasure, everybody say this treasure. this treasure, in jars of clay, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. In other words, this path that you have through here may be a difficult one, but it is one that you are designed to be able to come out on the other side with full power, full actual life. Verse 10. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. Just like Joseph when he was coming out of Egypt, he said, hey, you carry my bones out with you. 
because I know that we're going to inherit the promised land one day. You carry these bones with you. It's referring, but we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. Verse 11, for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. We're always being given over to death. That should be a normal part of our life. This church has many people who have a desire to be able to stand one day and be able to even if it requires our life. Lord, I want to be a martyr for you. If that is what is required of me, I want to be successful at that. You know how we have learned as a church how to do that? We're going to die to him today. Whatever he requires of us today is what we're going to do. You know what? And then we're going to do the same thing tomorrow. And then we're going to do the same thing day after that. And we're going to die to ourselves. Because you know what? The idea that I'm going to jump from where I am now to being able to be a martyr and give my whole life for Christ. I would rather be inching towards that line and have done it so many times that I've died to myself so many times that if it was ever the physical death that was required of me, I'd go, oh, hey man, I've done, I do this every day. I do it every day. It's nothing foreign to my heart. It's nothing foreign to my spirit. I actually can just sit back and allow God's presence to be there if that were ever required. Read through a Fox's book of martyrs, folks. People who were put on, on burned at the stake, began to sing praises to God at times. <laughs> we are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. Given over to death, so that life will be revealed. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Would you stand to your feet with me?